Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. I'm Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Before we get started, a quick reminder that the Eat for the Planet cookbook is now available for pre-order. This is the follow-up to my first book titled Eat for the Planet, which made the case for why we urgently need to change our food system and how we can all be a part of that transformation with our food choices. The cookbook is an essential guide for bringing about that change in your own kitchen. The Eat for the Planet cookbook features recipes from brands like Beyond Meat, Veggie Grill, Tofurky, No Evil Foods, Ripple Foods, and from talented chefs like Miyoko Shinner, Chad and Derek Sarno, Peggy Chan, Fran Costigan, Janet Clairbon, and several others. Go to eftp.co slash cookbook to learn more. The book is available on Amazon and everywhere else books are sold. In this episode, I speak with Carrie Song, the founder and CEO of Abbott's Butcher. Before Abbott's Butcher, Carrie spent five years as a brand strategist for Tony Robbins, worked in corporate finance for both Morgan Stanley and Citigroup, and led a grassroots campaign in Tanzania to develop HIV-AIDS prevention programs. Kerry is a graduate of Princeton University with a degree in economics. Abbott's Butcher crafts premium plant-based meats that are soy-free and non-GMO using simple, high-quality ingredients. The company was created because of Kerry's own health journey and her search for plant-based meats that delivered on taste and texture without compromising on nutrition. Carrie shares how she spent the first two years selling her products at farmer's markets and then got into the FoodX startup accelerator and how things evolved from there. What makes Abbott's Butcher's plant-based meat stand out is their commitment to clean ingredients. Their products don't use any synthetic chemicals, additives, or preservatives, and no artificial or natural flavors. In this conversation, we talk about how Abbott's Butcher has managed to make inroads into restaurant chains who share their commitment to taste, texture, and clean ingredients. And while a lot of discussions around plant-based food in the media seems to be focused on companies touting their technology innovations, Abbott's Butcher, on the other hand, is bridging the gap between culinary innovation and the world of plant-based meats. 
This is a great conversation about food entrepreneurship and having the patience and perseverance to stay true to your vision while learning and adapting as you go along. I hope you enjoy it. Carrie Song from Abbott's Butcher, thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So you don't have a background in the food industry, <laughs> I'm guessing, but you have found your way into this world of plant-based meat. Um, how how did you get started? Were you always cooking? Were you always interested in food? What led you to this point? Yeah, um, the story is definitely not linear. I don't have a background in food, um, aside from loving to eat it. Uh <laughs> I'm going to take you back a few years. So after I graduated college, um, I had a degree in economics, had no idea what I wanted to do. And they came and recruited at our school. So um, a lot of investment banks were offering jobs right out of the gate. So I took a job with Citigroup as a financial analyst, did the analyst program for two years, um, really did not like it. Um, it was just really long hours, 100 plus a week. I mean, I worked pretty much six days a week and I was just got really good at building Excel models. Um, outside of that, I really don't even think I learned much aside from having a meticulous attention to detail. Um, still was completely unclear what I wanted to do. So I ended up taking a job with Morgan Stanley uh, out in San Francisco, structuring derivatives and uh, quality of life much better. But I had a wonderful boss. I was learning a lot. Um, But when I looked further down the road, when I even looked five, 10 years down the road, I said, I'm willing to pay my dues, but for something that I can see myself wanting to do and somewhere where I feel like I need to have an impact. Um, Ended up having sort of a making this decision uh, to quit that job. I sold everything I had and I bought a one-way ticket to Europe. So... um, I traveled around by myself for a pretty long time and then ended up moving in with a close friend of mine who was living in Bologna. She was teaching at the school there and uh, had an open room, so stayed for a while and ended up taking cooking classes. Uh, Learned a lot about developing meaty tastes and textures from vegetables and herbs and spices because at the time I was vegetarian. I'd been vegetarian since college and... um, I was just learning a lot about how to work with different flavor profiles and different vegetables and create amazing food. And it really made me just fall in love with food, how it connects you more with your body, how it can connect you with each other. So um, I it wasn't, you know, on the level where I felt like I want to be a chef and this is something I want to do. It just made me fall in love with the power of food. Uh, when I got back, I moved to Los Angeles And I got into content, content strategy. I was everything from a copywriter to working on an art show to um, working with an agency. And then I eventually um, got a job working for Tony Robbins. So I worked for Tony for five years, uh, learned a tremendous amount about um, understanding your customer, connecting with your customer, um, how to basically build a business around knowing who your customer is. Um, so you can add more and more value to that person. Um, and during the time I was at Tony, I became, started as a content strategist, ended up working as brand producer, brand strategist. 
um, producing their podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I had gone completely plant-based during that time. For me, it was 100% animal welfare and the environment that sparked that change. Um, and I started doing a lot of cooking, a lot of recipe development. I was sharing it on a blog that I had created. Um, it was just sort of something that became a pastime, something I would do on nights and weekends. Um, I was eventually diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder. And um, it really just like I was telling you earlier, forced me to stop, take a step back, look at what I was eating. What am I putting into my body that's really having an impact on me? Because I really have always believed that food can be your medicine or it can be your poison. Um, I grew up in a really health-conscious household. My I have a family of physicians. Um, even when I was little, my dad would cut out the nutrition panel and the ingredient labels from what we were eating and tape them onto the fridge so that we were always forced to look at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Spray cheese was definitely banned from the house. Um, and so it forced me to take a step back, look at what I'm eating. And at the time, I was eating a lot of meat alternatives. And uh, what I realized is that a lot of the ingredients could barely pronounce them, let alone understand what they were. So I just set out to do some research and learn more about how could they be potentially impacting my gut because your gut is intricately um, related to your immune system. Uh, what I learned was pretty disturbing. And so I immediately cut all processed foods out of uh, my diet and really just focused on eating a whole foods, plant-based diet. Along that way, I realized I'm really missing so many of my favorite dishes. Like going plant-based shouldn't mean restriction and reduction in so many capacities. So where are the plant-based meats that will allow me to have all of my favorite foods and enjoy my favorite recipes again, but in a way that I can feel good about and good after eating. So that really was the impetus for me to set out and start building plant-based meats that were delivering on taste and texture, but then also on quality. Mm -hmm. And did you, when you tried the whole food plant-based, did you see a real difference in your health and did it actually help you? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't obviously immediate, but this mm -hmm. was something that I was committed to seeing the results of. Um, and it completely, it, and I will say that the autoimmune disorder that I had and that I was diagnosed with really impacted me. I lost a severe amount of weight. I um, was incredibly weak. Um, deficient in a lot of different areas, I saw a massive change over the course of about six months. So yeah. by going whole foods, plant-based. I mean, that's so interesting. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people think plant-based means one thing. Mm -hmm. And I think you, the more you dig into the kind of food that you can eat, uh, you'll realize that uh, plant-based, you can easily be a super unhealthy person on a plant-based diet. I was, for the first few years of eating plant-based, to me, you know, suddenly everything became fair game as long as it was plant-based, which yeah. is not how I approach food before. And then, of course, had to kind of learn the hard way that, well, the rules don't change, sugar and oil and uh, things like that are, are maybe plant-based, but are still not necessarily great for you, as well as excessive... Uh, uh, additives and and processed foods that are just um, unnecessarily um, full of stuff that probably won't be good for you if you consume it, especially in high quantities, uh, which I was definitely doing in the beginning. So I totally relate to that journey. Um, 
I, I do want to go back a bit to your experience with working with the Tony Robbins organization. I mean, mm-hmm. you mentioned more in the context of uh, what you learned about how they, they, they approach building, understanding the consumer, but it all you must have also learned so much just being around the, the the positive, impactful message that he that he shares, right? Was that something that kind of sparked some sort of a, a entrepreneurial spirit in you, or did you always have one? You know, I, yeah, going back to that, um, Tony definitely talks a lot about mental fitness um, because, and I think that is so necessary when you're going to start and build a business um, from, take it from zero to one, there's so many ups and downs, these seriously um, massive vicissitudes where one day you can feel on top of the world, the next day you can just feel completely defeated by one meeting. Um, so having that sort of um, strength and that sort of uh, mental fortitude really helps you cope with that. Um, in addition to um, really teaching you how to um understand yourself better, why you do the things you do, and then be able to sort of prepare you for overcoming different challenges that come in your along your way. Uh, Tony really, really um, drives home about when you're building a business. Um, like I said, you need to not just know who your customer is, like their demographics. You need to understand the psychographic. Mm. You need to understand um, what drives them, what motivates them, what are their fundamental human needs. Because ultimately, I think the biggest problem with a lot of um, entrepreneurs or business owners is that they really end up falling in love with their product and not their customer. And if you fall in love with your product, eventually someone's going to come along with either the same exact thing, just another Me Too product, or just another option for them that's better, cheaper, more efficient, just more effective. Mm. So if you aren't falling in love with your customer and really just continuously asking yourself, how can I add more value for them than anybody else's day after day? Uh, you're eventually not going to have a business that lasts very long. Yeah, I think that's a, such a such an important point. I mean, it's all about understanding people's motivations. And people think oh, building products, especially in the food space, is all about developing something u- new, unique, and that's trendy and cool. When all, all you act- actually have to ask is, what are what what drives people to make uh, decisions when it comes yeah. to buying food and when it comes to choosing certain flavors or the, over others? And how is it that you can deliver that same experience with the other values that drive people, whether it is they want to be healthy, they want to feel energetic, they don't want to feel like feel terrible after a meal? And, and how can you then develop something, I suppose, that caters to those needs? Yeah, absolutely. You really have to understand you know, on a molecular level, mm-hmm. what keeps them up at night? What gets them excited? How can you create a product that they don't just want but need and mm-hmm. that can fit into their daily routines? So, I mean, it's interesting that you felt like you were consuming too many meat substitutes and they weren't necessarily working really well for you. And so, hence, you, um, while you were trying to eat whole, while you were eating whole food plant based, you did still miss the meaty taste and texture, which is. Which is, I, I think it's it's a, a given. I mean, that's what happens to people. I mean, I've tried to eat mostly whole food plant-based, but I ate meat most of my life, and I still meet, miss the taste and texture and flavors of certain things that are meaty. 
And it's always a battle of how much can I add that back into my diet without necessarily compromising on this effort to eat mostly whole food plant-based. So I guess going into the creation of um, of your initial products and, and how that got started, who did you have in mind? Speaking of the end consumer or the customer, who were you creating this for besides yourself, of course? Yeah, sure. So... When I made the decision to go, well, first vegetarian, then eventually completely plant-based, I was always trying to encourage friends and family to even just have a meatless Monday, um, especially my immediate family, who are definitely mostly carnivores. Um, so it, w- it had to be something that was going to deliver, like I said, the way it cuts across your teeth, the hearty mouthfeel. Um, and that depth of flavor that people love about meat. I mean, most of us aren't giving up meat because we don't like the taste or texture, to your point. We're giving up for very other, a lot of other reasons, right? Animal welfare, health, sustainability, all equally important um, reasons to cut back on meat. And so I knew that if I'm going to get um, people to really start incorporating this seamlessly into their routines and not feel like they're having to sacrifice, I had to deliver on those. And I felt like my immediate family was sort of this microcosm Mm -hmm. of the bigger world because I have a father who's really focused on health but eats meat. I have two brothers who um, just love red meat and a mom who you know, doesn't eat red meat but loves chicken and would like to give up chicken but not sure how. So it was... um, It was great to be able to initially test with them. I started with mushrooms, different kinds of mushrooms, oyster mushrooms, miyake, um, you name it. I bought it and tried it. (laughs) Um, Did a number of seitans, lunch meats, deli slices. Um, Eventually came up with an array of products and I took them to farmer's markets around Los Angeles and Orange County. And they spent nights and weekends um, selling the products. But more than that, is really, it was an amazing opportunity to speak to the customer, um, get immediate feedback, talk to them about what they wanted, what they were looking for, what were their favorite things to prepare at home, and how could they learn how to go um, a little more meatless throughout the week um, without feeling like they're sacrificing. And so, I mean, I spent probably close to two years at farmer's markets doing this. Mm. And um, more than anything, it was just an amazing source of market research. Yeah. And was this while you had a day job still? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So no life for a couple of years. Um, Actually still working on that component. (laughs) But um, you've chosen the wrong path. You really want to have a balanced life. (laughs) Yeah. It's getting comfortable with the imbalance. right? Yeah. Um, But yeah. So it was absolutely, it was nights in the kitchen, in a commercial kitchen, weekends at the farmer's markets. Um, and that was my life for a couple of years. Yeah. And so when was the moment where you felt that you had um, sort of arrived at the right combination of ingredients or flavor? Uh, or when did you get the kind of feedback from the, the customers you were testing it on um, that made you think, well, I think I'm ready for the next step and, and go all, to go all into this. Because it's, while most entrepreneurship journeys start with these nights and weekends and um, sort of a passion, um, it's that moment of truth where you have to, especially when you need to possibly raise money or you need to put in some of your own money, um, 
you've got to reach this point where you say, I have to go all in because, you know, with, as anyone who's tried to raise money for any project, you'll learn people will be hesitant to give you money if they find out you all, you yourself don't believe in yourself enough to quit your day job. Yeah. So how when was that point for you, whether it's a combination of uh, arriving at the right product or just uh, being ready for the next step? You know, it's funny because there's not one moment in time. It was definitely a series of events that I think got us to the point where we could focus on a few um, main SKUs and then scale those and commercialize those. But for probably a year, it was we took part in um, an accelerator program called FoodX in New Mm -hmm. York City. And so that obviously, once we were accepted into that program, that was something that really forced me to say, okay, am I just going to stay here and continue working for Tony Robbins where I'm good at my job, I like it, but it's not what I feel my life's purpose is or do I take a risk, move to New York and put everything 100% of what I have into actually building this business. And so that felt like in my gut the right decision to make. Um, At that point, I had started to build a team um, they were able to hold down sort of production in our commercial kitchen. And we were making a burger for a local chain um, called Greenleaf Chop Shop out of uh, the commercial kitchen, too. So um, they were able to sort of hold that down with along with our retail production uh, while I went to New York and, and focused on really learning what it meant to build a scalable business. Um, I knew... I learned a lot about what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I think when you start to realize or when you start to know what you don't know, that's when you can hire the right people and start to fill in those holes so that you can um, focus on what you're going to do best and what you're going to help bring to the table to build this business into what you want it to be. Yeah. It was basically it was a, going to FoodX and then, um, you know, we had – we were in a handful of retail stores around Southern California. Um, but I think all of those combined in just constant iterations. I mean, our products went through probably 50 iterations each. And we've had so many different types of products that we've tried out. Um, and so we ended up focusing on these are the ones that A, resonated most with our consumers. And B, what I realized is that the direction we really wanted to take this company is creating these sort of modern day essentials where people can fit them really seamlessly into their routines. I mean, the average American household has nine recipes that they rotate through. And I thought, wait, when I first heard that statistic, I was like, no way, you have to have more than that. And I'm like, actually, no, like growing up, Mm -hmm. that's what my mom would make the same things. And these are the things I ended up missing and wanting to have plant-based versions of that didn't feel like I'm just eating something that was going to leave me hungry at the end or just unsatisfied. And so that's when we realized we want to create something that's not necessarily a center of the plate item. Mm -hmm. We... It's not like our product is the star of the plate. The dish is the star of the plate. And we are the vehicle that allows that to be a really gourmet plant-based dish. So whether it's, you know, your favorite bolognese, your enchiladas, bowls. uh, Growing up, my mom would make this um, chicken and rice dish. My, My mom's 
blonde hair, blue eyes, but my dad's Korean and Japanese. And so this was one of his favorite things growing up. So she started to make it for him. And I ended up really missing that. Now I can enjoy it and have it. And I feel like it's even better than when I had it when I was growing up for so many different reasons, for taste, for texture, and just for the pure knowledge that I'm doing something that's really nourishing my body and having a positive impact on the planet. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the the products. I mean, I know a lot of people listening may have not tried your products. Um, The plant-based meat category as a whole is very crowded right now, Um, but there's still new companies always launching. What makes Abbott's Butcher's products stand out? Obviously, yeah, you had a focus on health, so I'm sure that's come into play as you develop these products, but why... Well, yeah, why do you why do you stand out as being different from something else? Um, sure, I would say first it's the product itself. Um, we're not a burger patty. Um, hmm. We know that category is pretty saturated right now. We offer alternatives to chicken and pork, and we also have a ground beef. Um, second, it's our commitment to clean ingredients. So we use a protein harvested from golden peas, vegetables, herbs, spices, juices. Um, extra virgin olive oil and vinegars. So we never use any maltodextrin or methylcellulose, no artificial flavors, no natural flavors. Um, Because as I was saying before, they're anything but natural. (laughs) It's a complete misnomer. Um, Just basically no synthetic chemicals, additives, preservatives, just really good, real clean food that you can feel good about eating and good after eating. Um, Those are the two main differentiators. And um, our brand is, oh, regardless of what category we end up going into, whether it's frozen foods, whether it's soups and stews, or whether it's just plant-based meats, we'll always have a commitment to being 100% plant-based and clean label. Hmm. And, you know, that's such an that's starting to become a big issue right now because as this, um, when I mean that, I mean this idea of uh, some companies on a quest to replicate meat using plants no matter what the cost. And not to say that some products out there are are unhealthy, but at the same time, when you're trying to really recreate meat exactly using plants, you've got to use things that possibly are not good for people if they consume on a regular basis. And so while there's this huge trend for people eating plant-based meats, there's also starting to be a bit of a backlash against them because it's easy for people to look at all of them and say, well, they're all fake or processed. And so, you know, what's your view on, you know, the processed is a is a loaded word because all cooking means sure. processing. Uh, how do you differentiate your product? Like, I guess someone turned around your package or your dad, would he <laughs> would he be proud of eating it? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, first I'll say I think it's it's incredible from a sustainability and animal welfare standpoint mm-hmm. what the company, the big ones are doing right now, especially in fast food, because it's making plant-based so accessible to mm-hmm. so many people and penetrating markets that maybe would have never tried plant-based before, but now they can pull up in a drive-thru and give it a shot. And they're seeing how delicious it can be. It's completely shattering any myths that it's, you know, quote unquote, rabbit food. Um, And it's really getting them over the hump. Where we come in is when people start to refine their plate and when they're looking for better for you options that really still deliver on taste and texture, but also on quality so that they're more gourmet plant-based meats. Um, 
as far as, you know, the ingredient label, it's it's really surprising how challenging it can be to find products in the markets that don't use a lot of additives and preservatives. I was at the a natural food store, um, who I won't say, but I was <laughs> there a couple days ago shopping. And I was getting increasingly frustrated because I felt like everything I ad- pick was picking up had some sort of gum or, you know, preservative or some sort of additive in it. And, um, and now at this point, I know what all of them can do to your body because I've done so much research into it. And I just started thinking, I'm like, I want to buy food that your grandmother taught you how to make. And what would be in that? Whole food ingredients. So... That's just where we are and where where our commitment really lies. Our whole brand ethos is a commitment to real food. I will never compromise that and put something in it that I wouldn't feel comfortable eating myself or that I wouldn't want to feed my little niece and nephew. Mm -hmm. And so what's the base protein in most of your products? I know a lot of them are wheat-free and Mm -hmm. soy-free. And how have you managed to... I know you use peas for a lot of your products, so it's golden peas. How have you managed to use them without necessarily over-processing them with the help of additives and preservatives? Yeah, sure. Um, going back to like the process um, of extruding pea, pea pro- to get the pea protein, um, it's it's a relatively very clean process where, you know, unlike soy, which soy is very fatty, right? So there's a lot of oil in it, has to go through a defatting process. That defatting process uses a chemical called hexane, which is toxic. That's the biggest problem with any sort of soy isolate. Um, Unfortunately, soy in general gets a really bad rap when it shouldn't because organic tempeh or tofu is completely fine. They use phytoestrogen. It's It's not the same sort of estrogen that people think is, you know, has a negative impact mm-hmm. for men or um so i mean i still eat tofu on a regular basis um especially organic soy i mean not yeah. i would say non-gmo organic soy is absolutely nothing wrong with it <laughs> right absolutely so you know but we chose peas because a lot of people um like i said the alternative and using that hexane process was non-negotiable so um, peas, like I said, they're very, um, they have a minimal impact on the environment, the way they grow. It's a clean process. And then we combine them with vegetables, herbs, spices to achieve the textures and the flavors um, that we want. So once you, you, you decided to go all in with, with Abbott's Butcher, and, and maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the name as well, um, what did you do next? Uh, yeah, take <laughs> us back to that moment where you you kind of you knew this was going to this was going to be your focus and this you're going to go on this journey to to be a food entrepreneur um yeah who did you talk to how did you go about raising money let's get into the early days of the company and then we'll get into what you're doing now yeah um like i said before when you start to know what you don't know that's when you can start seeking out guidance advice surrounding yourself with the right people I got really lucky with meeting some um, really amazing people in the space, in operations, and then both in operations and the financial component. Um, New Crop Capital, we raised our seed round with them as the lead, and I'm 
incredibly grateful for their guidance along the way of building this company. But yeah, I think it's been a combination of really just being as resourceful as possible and figuring out who can help you in the areas where you have sort of gaping holes and how you can learn how to fill them. Um, But raising the seed round really was allowing us to figure out how to scale the product and how to commercialize it. And, you know, when you're dealing with something like a plant-based protein, it's not like you're commercializing something that's been tried and true, like a soup or a cracker Mm -hmm. where you're just swapping out different ingredients. You're building entirely new processes with new machines, um, timing, temperature, pressures. It's these, each of these things plays such an important, critical role um, in scaling the product. So it took almost a year for us to do that. Um, and so, you know, fortunately we were able to get where we needed to be and we were able to, um, completely launch with scaled capacities, um, just a few months ago. And you use a co-manufacturer or like, how have you gone about doing it so far? Yeah. You know, we, that was a, difficult decision. Mm-hmm. Um, now it seems very clear for us that a co-manufacturer was absolutely the way to go. But back, you know, maybe, gosh, what day is it? It's October. Probably a year and a half ago, that wasn't so clear. Mm-hmm. Because you feel this sense of ownership over your product. And you, and still to this day, I maintain no one's going to care as much as you do about your company, about your product. And so letting go of that um, and also finding the right co-manufacturer are massive challenges that you have to overcome. And you have to really come to that decision after doing as much research as possible. So, I mean, I toured so many facilities. I had consultants come in to see what would it take to actually run my own facility, build out my own production facility. How much would it cost? What capacity could that get us to? And then once we hit that capacity, what's the next phase? Because you can't just look, you know, a couple years out. You need to look five years out. If you're building, you know, a business yep. that you want to scale to the capacity that we did. So after analyzing those decisions, it really made sense for us to go with a co-manufacturer. Yeah. And the and the name, I wanna don't wanna miss out on that, the name Abbott's Butcher, where did that come from? Was that always the name from the farmers market days or Yeah, yeah, it was. Um I started the company when I was living in Venice, California. Um, on a street called Abbot Kinney. <laughs> and so it was a very formative time of my life. And uh, Abbot Kinney himself uh, was a conservationist um, in Santa Monica a long time ago. Yeah, I don't. I live not too far from Abbot Kinney, so very familiar with that street. Uh, it's the best. I, I didn't know that until actually <laughs> I went when researching for the episode, I discovered that's where the name came from. So yeah. <laughs> really interesting. Uh, anyone visits Venice, go to Abbot Kinney after you. Well, most people know Venice for Venice Beach, but that's, in my opinion, that's just you go there once and then don't go back. Yeah, yeah. You go there by accident, <laughs> trying to get somewhere else. <laughs> um, so... I, in terms of your go-to-market strategy, I know you've been focused a lot on food service. Um, I find that really interesting because, again, as we were discussing earlier, there's this big – everyone's talking about plant-based burgers and, and fast food chains, and uh, whether it's Burger King or McDonald's or KFC getting on getting into the plant-based um, game now uh, in some ways, partnering with companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible. But – 
If you really look at what's happened with um, fast casual dining over the past five, ten years, it's been a, a growing trend where as in fact it isn't fast food chains like beyond, uh, like like uh, burger king and and mcdonald's that have been getting all the attention in urban areas as people get more concerned about their health especially millennials and gen z as they care more about sustainability they're looking to make food choices that are good for them good for the planet good for animals so you've seen chains that are popping up that that offer farm to table sort of products it's all fresh it's all healthy which is this whole new opportunity i think in in plant based um not just in terms of providing you know fresh vegetables and and produce but the fact that as we said earlier, people, even if they're trying to eat, shift towards plant-based, or as we've seen the stats, most Americans are choosing plant-based more often than before, uh, but people still miss out on meat. So how can we have it all? How can we eat healthy yet choose meaty, meaty products that are not compromising on, on our health? Um, is that why you've chosen the food service route? And, and what are the kind of partners you're working with so far? Um, because I think it's a huge opportunity, and I'm and I'm surprised not many more companies are looking into it. Yeah, like you said, I think there's so much opportunity in the food service space. Um, food service itself is an 800 billion dollar industry, and vegan options are projected to increase by 92 percent over the next four years. So there's a lot of opportunity because ultimately this is a consumer-driven demand where it's not just vegans and vegetarians. Mm -hmm. It's mostly meat eaters looking to cut back or like the rise of the quote-unquote flexitarians who still eat meat but are looking for ways to incorporate more plant-based foods into their into their routines. And when they look for those plant-based options, they don't just want salads and um, veggie-forward uh, dishes, they want something that's really hearty and really satisfying so that they don't feel like they're having to give up anything mm -hmm. to go plant-based. Um, with the food service industry, one of the biggest assets I think the entire plant-based movement has are chefs because chefs can take a plant-based dish and make it so amazingly innovative and creative and exciting that people would never miss meat in a million years and seeing what they can do with our product and how so many chefs are thinking outside of just a burger patty and really getting in touch with their own sense of creativity, their own signature dishes and re recreating really gourmet plant-based versions of those is one of the best parts of my job right now is just mm -hmm. to see what they're doing and the exciting things that they're coming up with. Because that's what's really propelling people to order those dishes and not just feel, um, really get excited about it. I mean, you feel like they want to share it with their friends and they want to be repeat customers. Yeah. And so most of your products, I know, are flavored. But when it comes to food service, do you have different versions of them? Or do you? is it such that chefs are able to take what you already have um, and are able to make it their own because that's that's I think you're you're right in food service you've got to be mindful of that because each whether it's a it's a fast casual chain or if it's just one restaurant they they have their own opinions on what is good flavors no matter what you may think yeah absolutely um, you know the chorizo is spiced mm -hmm. it's uh, it's great in breakfast dishes breakfast burritos tacos chilies stuffed peppers it's also of course, great any sort of Mexican fare. 
Um, and it's also really great on top of pizzas. So it does have, it's a little zesty, bright, has a little heat, but it's not spicy. Um, but ultimately it's just really, really hearty and satisfying. But with the chicken, it's really, really neutral, mild, versatile. So it browns well in a pan. Um, it stays tender when it's roasted. But the entire point of this chicken is to act like chicken normally does. So it's a component for, or it's a medium for flavor. Mm. So the chef at Tender Greens created a Mediterranean spice blend, a Baharat spice blend, mm. and he uh, tossed the chicken with olive oil, added these spices, this whole marinade that he made himself, and roasted it and created a whole dish around it. And it was mind-blowing how good it was. And it was so exciting to see this chef um, tap into his culinary skills and put a spin on it that I'd never seen anybody else do. Yeah, and that's exciting because uh, this is one more thing that I think people sometimes forget as we, we start talking about the change we need to make in our food system and the fact that we are relying on this inefficient, unsustainable, industrial animal agriculture system to feed the world. And to, re- to redefine this food system, we're going to rely on new technology to replace what we already have. And so there's this tendency to then start to talk about food as, as technology. And yes, it, all food manufacturing involves technology, but let's not forget it's food. And food most people, again, coming back to what you mentioned in the beginning about what you learned from working uh, at Tony Robbins and the idea that you have to understand your consumers. And in the case of food, people don't buy food because of the technology used to produce the food, at least most people, as far as I know. They buy food because they, they, they like the taste of the food. So I think there needs to be, um, and I think that's one of my criticisms that I have of some entrepreneurs in the space lately is because they speak in a language that appeals more to investors than actually appeals to end consumers. And I think that works to a certain point if your only goal is to raise money. But as you start to develop a brand and as you start to start to go into partnership with it, whether it's food service or retail, you've also got to understand what drives, say, a restaurant chain. And it's, it's again, it's taste, it's flavor, it's versatility, and it's what their customers want at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's why we're really resonating with brands and chains that put a real emphasis on where they source their ingredients from. Um, Tender Greens, for example, has been looking for a plant-based meat for some time. Um, our partnership made sense with them because we both align on those same values of a commitment to high quality ingredients. And so uh, for that reason, you know, it, it made perfect sense. Um, we're in testing with a pizza chain and this pizza chain right now is really family focused and also another really prides themselves in sourcing high quality ingredients. And what they said to us is why they chose us taste and texture drove our decision, but your clean label was something we could lean into because we share those values with you. Mm -hmm. And for us, that's really important because the people that we partner with also, you know, it reflects on our brand. So um, it's it's a really exciting time because we're seeing so many of these different um, chains, powerful chains that have a lot of resources and a lot of, um, uh, they're very prominent across the country are using their, 
their resources to offer more plant-based dishes and they're going to offer plant-based dishes that they can be proud of. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really exciting for us to be part of their menus. Yeah. And so you've obviously prioritized food service at the moment, but you aren't completely ignoring retail. Um, I know you're available in some places in Southern California and I think in New York and a couple of places online as well. For someone listening who hasn't been to a a restaurant that, that has your products uh, but now is very eager to try it. What was the best place to get one of your your products? Yeah, if you are in Southern California, we're at um, the sort of independent natural food stores. Um, and then if you're outside of Southern California, you can find us on Vegan Essentials or on MilkGuys.com. They ship nationally. In terms of the journey so far, it's I know it's only been a couple of years. Well, if you don't count the farmers market days, <laughs> uh, and your you're kind of well on your way towards this idea of building a plant-based meat company that is obviously cares about the environment, obviously cares about animals, but is leading with health first and is able to not at the same time compromise on flavor or texture that people so crave so much when it comes to uh, plant-based meats. How's the journey been so far? It seems like there's been a lot of lessons along the way. Um, but but as personally as an entrepreneur, how has it been for you now that you've got a couple of years behind you? Um, that's a really good question. It's it's every day is presents new challenges or new wins. Um, I think Robert Louis Stevenson said it best: is it's um, best to travel hopefully than to arrive. Um, and I think there's a lot of merit to that because. If you keep, there will always be new benchmarks for success, right? Different KPIs at different phases. And I'm extremely competitive, so I'm never satisfied. And I'm always, you know, looking to the next goalpost. Um, But if I purely base success on reaching those goalposts, I worry I will never be fulfilled. So it's really just trying to focus on each week and then each day and really what's the impact that we're having the success is the labor. So it's doing something that we love and that's having impact and connecting with customers and being inside their homes and being on menus and having a real, um, like I said, positive impact on this planet. So I realize how fortunate I am to be working on something that I feel is my life's purpose. And that's just something I remind myself every single day. So that I'm able to um, continuously put the amount of effort and energy that is required to build a business. Yeah. And, you know, I, another reason I asked that, because I think it's when people embark on a, on a journey like, like you have or when you did, initially it, it sometimes comes from a pretty naive place of, you know, I think, I think this needs to happen and I think I have a solution and I'm just going to get started. And all you focus on is the next step. Mm-hmm. And you may have a bigger vision, of course. Everyone has bigger visions when you start building something. But for the most part, to get to the next step, you need to do so much work that you can't sit dwelling on the bigger vision day to day. You have to just get what needs to get done to start providing products at a farmer's market or tomorrow as you launch the company, you've got to raise money and then find you know food service partners that... Before you know it, you find yourself at a point where you haven't even realized how far you've come from the place that you got started. And now you are 
now there's no turning back. Do you do you have that feeling that when you started off, you probably like what what do you wish you knew back then that you know now? Oh my god! And would you start all over if you knew it? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, it, it's no. There's nothing anyone could have told me that would have swayed me to um, relinquish. You know the challenge of building a business because fundamentally in my bones, the cause is something I care so deeply about that even on my worst day, um, there's still nothing else I'd rather be doing. Um, what was the other part of the question? No, I think if you had to go back, um, like what would you tell yourself that you now know um, back to yourself two years or four years ago? I think from just a technical standpoint is how challenging it will be to commercialize the products and to scale something from, you know, doing it in a little kitchen to full scale, you know, 50,000 pounds um, without sacrificing the quality. Because Mm -hmm. trust me when I say we've had so many food scientists or people come in with recommendations of you could add this, you know, enhancer, this Mm -hmm. additive and this will do, you know, and refusing to cut corners um, definitely prolonged um, some of the phases during that. So I think just from a technical standpoint, it would have been nice to have a little more awareness there because, you know, you can sit and you just feel like you're spinning your wheels for a year trying to get this, but um, it could be frustrating. Yeah. Um, But then also, you know, just if there's any entrepreneur's um, listening to this, it can it can be really lonely. Um, I'm a solo founder, and you know it's not just the time that you spend alone traveling. Because November is crazy for me. I'm in I think four different cities, you know, every different week. But it's an experience that's very difficult for other people to relate to. So when you just feel an immense amount of pressure and most of that comes from your yourself putting it on yourself to constantly reach these benchmarks which is why I say it's so important to start my day um, with reminding myself how fortunate I am to be doing mm-hmm. what I feel is my life's purpose yeah and my next question was going to and you kind of answered it which was what, what sort of at this stage in um, yeah you've you've made progress but you obviously want to go much further what inspires you every day to, to keep pushing? And I and I think you kind of answered part of it, but I'm I'm sure there's much more to it in terms of you've just driven by the cause and that's what keeps you focused on the mission and focused on the work that you need to do. Um yeah, what's a what's a typical day? As you said earlier in the beginning actually that which is a consistent theme we always hear is that um there's always ups and downs and, and you've got to push through on the days where it seems like nothing is working out or even one bad meeting could turn you could completely turn your day upside down. Yeah, I think um, just being so crystal clear on why I'm doing this and understanding that purpose, because that purpose, when you're going through those days or those moments, that's what gets you through it. And so it's sort of that overarching, bigger picture, and it helps you kind of shake off the small things um, and keep putting one foot in front of the other. So what's next for Abbott's Butcher? Um, what are your plans for 2020? Um, like short-term priorities, Where? what would you like to see a year from now? Um, 
we have a lot of um, exciting opportunities coming up um, and different partnerships with different restaurants and restaurant chains on the horizon. So it's, you know, for us, you can scale and you can, you know, just focus on whatever multiple you want. But for me, it's really about scaling thoughtfully and scaling intentionally because I think that's the way to build longevity. So it doesn't just mean produce as much as we can, sell as much as we can. It means how can we create partnerships and build a business that doesn't just um, provide an amazing product for consumers or for restaurants, but how can we be amazing partners to them, give them the best customer service, continuously create the best products, and then also um, really figure out ways to continuously engage with our customers, connect with them on a really fundamental basis so that we can grow um, in a way that's really smart rather than just overextending ourselves, producing too much, running into production problems, um, capacity issues, supply chain issues, um, and then also, you know, having the internal bandwidth so that we can, like I said, add more value than anybody else's. Yeah, I see this consistent theme in in your whole uh, story, which is uh, it kind of does go back to your farmer's market days <laughs> and having that one-to-one understanding of what people like and want and having those conversations with them and what you are really doing with your business, um, and correct me if you think I've misunderstood this, is you're you're scaling up that relationship building. And well, which is, you know, in some ways for some people that'll be obvious because that any business is based on relationships. But to me it's that understanding of of um what drives people to make certain decisions, what values do you share with them and how can you create a value exchange between the end customer and yourself. Um and then scaling that up to when you're partnering with a restaurant chain, for example, how can you have that valuable exchange between what does the chef want to do with your product versus you making it all about, you know, maybe the way you want it to be um, and them serving their end customers who inadvertently become your end customers now. So I think it's more of a it's like scaling that one to one relationship and growing thoughtfully so that you're not compromising one on your um, values, but secondly, also on the promise to develop these clean label plant-based meats, which is definitely something that we need more of. Yeah. I mean, look, I fundamentally believe that everybody wants to do better. I believe they want to do better for their bodies. I believe they want to do better for the planet and for the animals. Um, And so I'm just continuously asking myself, how can we help them do that? Because this whole movement, the whole plant-based movement is nothing without the consumer. We're not the hero. I don't care what you can do in the lab or what you can do in the kitchen. That's so miraculous. We're nothing without them. It's their decisions day to day that are going to make the change that we all want to see on this planet. Yeah. And of course, I have to get into this because I know you have a background in content and, and you did some work in that space. What what would you like people to to take away from your brand? And and yeah, I know the food sort of communicates a lot of lot about it anyway, but, but what are you trying to build when it comes to uh, as you build a consumer brand, as you go more into retail as well? What what kind of connection do you want to establish with an end consumer? Two things. Trust and transparency. I want to build a brand where people 
don't even have to read the ingredient label eventually, where that no matter what product we come out with, they can pick it up and know that they're getting something that's entirely plant-based and it's a firm commitment to the highest quality ingredients so that they can feel comfortable and excited to take it home and share it with their loved ones. I think that's that's simple and, and, and very <laughs> on point. I love that. Um, when you look ahead, um, I know you got started in this space because you were, or at least initially started eating plant-based because you were driven by animal welfare and um, and sustainability, and then eventually more focused on health as it impacted you personally. And we, you touched on it earlier, and we've, we've talked about it, but we really need to change the way people eat for several, several reasons. We don't need to get into all of that. I think people know that by now. But when you look ahead, say, in the year 2050, by, by most estimates, we're going to be about 10 billion people on the planet. So that, to me, is a big driver for why we need to change, because if, if we, we can't feed 7.5 or 6 billion that are on the planet right now sustainably— there's no way we're going to be able to feed 10 billion unless we change. And well, once, completely, because I mean, even though plant-based consumption is going up, so is so is meat consumption. Yeah, yeah. So, which is why we need we need more companies launching more products. We need more consumers to be eating more plant-based more often. We need everyone from the fast food chains like McDonald's and Burger King to the fast casual chains to small restaurants to hospitals and schools to start offering more plant-based options. If or rather when we are successful, when Abbott's Butcher is successful and other companies like you um, manage to fulfill the vision and the mission that you've set out to achieve, what kind of food system do you see in the year 2050 if it all works out well? What's your perfect <laughs> view or kind of vision or utopian vision for the food system? <laughs> well, my utopian vision would be the animal completely removed from the <laughs> equation. Um, whether that happens or not, I, I don't know. Um, but I think success, at least for me, will just be knowing that I did absolutely everything possible to help drive that vision closer to reality. Love that. I think that's <laughs> important because a lot of people say we we're no, we maybe don't have any hope. Um, you have to but, have hope. <laughs> but you've got to keep trying because if you don't, then you really don't have any hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... Terry, this has been amazing. Really, really excited to share your story and to learn more about the work that you're doing and the commitment that you have to building something that is authentic, that is thoughtful, that is uh, focused on health and flavor. Um, And I'm excited to see what you do next. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.